0: Bring in show music,
1: please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. It's Jobs Friday. U.S. hiring has slowed, but the labor market is still solid. CNBC's Steve Leisman on set today.
2: Over the course of the 20 years you've known me, I have reported on the potential impact of the jobs market of hurricanes and snowstorms.
3: Never a heat
1: wave.
2: Never a heat wave. And billionaire value investor Mario Gabelli, where
1: he's putting his money in this market.
4: We want to buy good companies with good management and good valuations. And to the degree the market comes down, to the degree that the magnificent seven are in the trillions, you know, there are opportunities for small companies.
1: Plus, the summer travel surge. Why post-COVID, Americans are ditching the states for European vacations. And what it means for travel companies like Booking.com. CEO Glenn Fogel.
5: We're not completely recovered by, you know, Asia's still coming back, still has a long way to go, I think, there. And there's still a lot of pent-up demand for travel.
1: It's Friday, August 4th, 2023. Squawk Pod begins
3: right now.
4: Stand Becky by in three, two, one, cue please.
3: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Steve Leesman. Good morning, Steve. Good to see you. Good to see you. Steve and I have been together for years and years and
2: years at this point. I think the mid-90s is when we first worked together. I think so, too. You were 12, I think, at the time. (laughs)
3: And you were 14. I was older. Yeah, well, here we are. We get to do the show together. Andrew's going to be joining us a little bit later in the show. Joe is off today, but it's the perfect day to have Steve here because we've got Jobs Friday coming up.
2: Um, there's all kinds of stuff circulating around. You know, I don't know if you you've noticed this, but usually in the lead up to the Jobs Report, I do a thing saying I look at the high frequency data Yeah. and it's telling me this. And it's been really good in terms of the sort of upside or downside. Surprise, there haven't been many downsides, but it's been very good. I didn't do it this week. Why? I couldn't get the story. I didn't know what it was. It was all sort of all over the place.
1: Okay.
2: Um, I think we are just learning in this post-pandemic period to deal with a completely different way to gauge and monitor the economy through the high-frequency data. Hmm. But when you get into a month like July, when you have tremendous seasonal adjustments, I'm not sure the data, the the high-frequency data is handling it all that well. So we're going to have to watch it over time and get a feel for how does it deal with the idea that the BLS is going to add back a million jobs because of the layoffs in, like, the educational sector. And there's another really weird factor going on, which I'm picking up in the, uh, uh, in the commentary out there, which is the heat wave. Oh. Now, over wait. the course of the 20 years you've known me, I have reported on the potential impact of the jobs market of hurricanes and snowstorms. Never a heat wave. Never a heat wave. Wait, but, well,
3: what does it do? Is it well, down?
2: the idea that people can't work or don't work or aren't working or that those uh, outdoor jobs that would otherwise be done, mm-hmm. they can't be done. And so there wasn't hiring commencement. It's hard to know exactly how widespread this is. I know that the heat wave was, you know, throughout Across a big the country, chunk of the, yeah. of the Southwest and the West and um, the Midwest. And the Midwest. Yeah. Uh, later on in the wise. month, yeah. yeah. So so it, it, it's something that's hard to know. We've worked really hard to try to gauge the impact, again, using high frequency and very local data mm-hmm. to understand, like, when that storm... Remember, it, it stayed over Houston for, like, three days? Mm-hmm. So we're able now to look at credit card data by zip code. Wow. And the Fed is doing this. The, Fed the Fed's must, actually using the data. The Fed is using uh, credit card high-frequency data among other things, because it wants to know, is the fall off in retail sales something broader or is it just related to the storm? How far out does it generate? How long does it last? And then what we see, of course, are the things that I always come on and say, oh, there's a hurricane, which is obviously terrible, but what we're gonna see is we're gonna see a decline in spending now, and then we're gonna see a bounce back on the other side at the Home Depots and the Lowe's with the rebuilding, so it kind of evens itself out. I don't know if you get Um, the
3: same thing with a heat wave.
2: I don't know if you do either.
3: What did the polled forecasters say?
2: 200. Oh, am I supposed to read that? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> folks, this is new to me. Okay. <laughs>
1: Yes, today is the first Friday of the month, and the U.S. government releases the monthly employment report. Now, job growth in July was less than expected, pointing to possible slower growth in the U.S. economy at large. Non-farm payrolls expanded by some 187,000 for the month. That is slightly below expectations. Here's our Rick Santelli reporting the numbers on Squawk Box this morning.
5: 187,000. This is a new low on this cycle. Last month hasn't been revised. Yet 209. So this now becomes the lowest level since D of 2020 when we were at minus
1: 268,000. One key metric in the report, average hourly earnings, which tell you if wages have grown or are growing, rose 0.4% for the month. That's good for a 4.4% annual pace, and that's higher than estimates. This is a number the Federal Reserve will be watching as the central bank considers to continue raising interest rates next month. Becky and the gang, back to you.
3: Steve, how about you? You've been digging through these numbers, the good, the bad, the ugly. When yeah, you
2: it's it's a little on the weaker side, but I think that's okay. I think the wage number is going to be interesting for the Federal Reserve. Um, I, you mean, when
3: the, I, the higher than expected, higher average, than hourly expected average
2: hourly earnings. Um, with the question as to whether or not and how much productivity may be inside that number, uh, I think Tyler is right that on the surface, on the face of it, it's too high to, to support 2% inflation unless it's backed up by underlying productivity. Um, I, where I see the job growth, um, 17,000 leisure and hospitality, 15,000 on the government side. I saw, I thought, eight and a half on the retail side. Nothing really sticking out as a thing that, that really pushed it higher or made it lower. Uh, all, it's all in the service sector. Manufacturing was down 2,000, and then we had... Um, What was the construction? I think was plus. Hang on, let's take a look at that. Construction was plus nineteen thousand, which has always sort of been interesting to me. The construction employment has remained quite so high. We cannot seem to get or budge off. We had a nice ride up on the participation rate, and now it's flatlined. We can't seem to get more people into the workforce. And then this will be a topic of debate. It may take a higher wage. It may be what the issue has been is older folks who have left the workforce and not come back. There's always this flow back from the uh, 55 or 65 and older crowd. Mm-hmm. They're not, they've are not; they not come back, and we don't know exactly why or what it would take to make that happen. I have to look, I haven't looked at the, today's numbers, but the 25 to 54, the prime age work, that participation rate has back to where it was before the pandemic, but the overall is down in part because of what's happening with the older cohort.
3: Blackstone CEO Steve Schwarzman weighing in on the Fitch Rating Agency's downgrade of U.S. long-term credit after comments from investors like Warren Buffett this week, J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon. Private equity pioneer Schwarzman shared his thoughts on the downgrade in this Squawk Box exclusive.
0: Well, nobody expected it. That's the first. Uh, Secondly, uh, the numbers justify it, Uh, regrettably. You know, we've had an explosion uh, of, of debt since the global financial crisis. uh, And we don't appear to have a lot of discipline uh, going forward, we're running huge deficits now. So on the numbers, you can understand uh, why they did it. Uh, On the other hand, uh, as Jamie said, uh, because Jamie's always opinionated, I must say, uh, you know, the U.S. is the U.S. We are the reserve currency. Uh, We do defend uh, a large part of the world. Uh, including people who have AAAs, uh, and um, uh, when there's a crisis in the world, they buy our securities. Now, that doesn't last forever if you don't keep some discipline.
3: Again, that's uh, adding to the commentary we've been hearing this week from a lot of different folks. What we'd heard from Jamie Dimon, which is what Steve Schwarzman was
0: referencing there. It doesn't really matter that much. Uh, you know, the markets decide. It's not the rating agencies who make these big decisions. Number two, they point out some issues which we all knew about, about our debt ceiling crisis and things like that. But uh, number three, most important, the American public, this is the most prosperous nation on the planet. It's still the most prosperous nation on the planet. It's the most secure nation on the planet. And I would point out to the rating agencies I could that there are a bunch of countries rated higher than us, like AAA, but they live under the American uh, enterprise military system. For, to have them be AAA and not America is kind of ridiculous.
3: Just the idea that it doesn't change their opinion in what they think about U.S. Treasuries. Warren Buffett had said that he buys, you know, $10 billion in short-term uh, T-bills every week. That's what Berkshire's been doing, and they're going to do it again next week. Yesterday, we also told you about Bill Ackman's call on shorting 30-year Treasury bonds. Ackman clarified that he does use shorter-term bills for cash management, which echoes those, that strategy from Berkshire Hathaway's Warren Buffett. Afternoon, In the yesterday afternoon, Elon Musk actually signed on to the strategy, too. He tweeted in return, yeah, short-term T-bills are a no-brainer. I think this was probably Ackman saying, yeah, it doesn't matter if you're buying short-term T-bills if you, if you really want to say that you're confident in it by long-term Treasury notes, and that's where you're going to see the action and the activity and the bet that he is making.
2: I, I, I have a lot of respect for Steve. I don't agree with him, though. I don't, I don't think the numbers justify the downgrade. Because mm-hmm. if you think about the creditworthiness of the United States, right? What is our coverage ratio? How much wealth do we have relative to our debt? Very high. Yeah. We also have the ability to obviously lay taxes. We're also levy taxes to pay it if we need to. Um, I believe even the last debt ceiling debate showed the willingness of the body politic to step up and pay the debt. The politics are messy. I think maybe if there's a justification for the downgrade, it comes from that. But let me just throw out a contrarian idea.
3: Can I can I just can I add on to that because I I, I talked to Buffett last night about yeah. some of these things. He basically echoed what you said on some of these levels, which is, look, it's the responsibility of Fitch, the ratings agency, to tell you whether your debt is going to get paid back or not. It's not. To, it's not to tell you. Whether, you know, what, what if you should be getting more on this, it's not like an equity analyst saying, you know, yes, this is a better purchase to put your money elsewhere or something else. The responsibility of Fitch is to say, are you going to get paid back? And if you look at it, yes, the United States is going to pay you back because they only have they only have debt that's issued in U.S. dollars. They can always print more. You can do these things. And there is the ability and the willingness, I think, to pay back. I think if you listen to Schwarzman's point just about the numbers maybe justifying it, I get that. Because if you're looking at the debt, we are, again, growing to a level that by 2029, the CBO is saying you're going to be at a higher level than we were even during World War II. You are looking at numbers that are incredibly worse, go from 60 percent of GDP or so down 2007 to now where you're...
2: 100 and change.
3: 100 100 But let me throw out two things. One is But I, I do see your point. Are you going to get paid back if you buy US Treasuries? Historically, I would say yes. Historically.
2: Historically, despots, tyrants default on their debt. Yeah. Democracies do not default on their debt because the people who are voting are the people who hold the debt in general. So that's been the, the long and history. And you default
3: on your debt of, if you if you if you issued if you issued debt in a foreign currency that right. you don't control. Exactly. If you're issuing debt, if you're exactly. Argentina and you're issuing debt in, in dollars and, instead and of pesos, you're the then one, you're going to have a problem.
2: You're the one who pointed out yesterday, Japan seems to run its economy with, like, what is it, 200 to 300 percent of GDP? Yeah. I'll tell you also that during the time that the British pound was the world's reserve currency in the 18th century or the 17th century, uh, Britain debt to GDP was 300 percent. Um, I don't know if that's a good, a good thing. Yeah, but I don't a think it's time, something to strive the, for. <laughs> the, the idea of the reserve currencies, now look, doesn't mean we should not.
3: Yeah, and, and, and be to hear somebody like Joe Manchin say that this is a clarion call yeah. and the senator wants to step in Washington, I think but that's I, a thing. But I know thing. we
2: got to go, but, but the more interesting question here <laughs> is whether these guys are wrong. You look at the 10 year, yeah. 4.17%. Do you do you not believe in the ability of the Fed to get inflation down to 2%? Okay. And if that is true, well, and,
3: and Ackman over, said basically he doesn't. He thinks okay. they're going to be Okay. Over the 10-year
2: period, percent. if the Fed hits 2% and you get 2.17% real on your money, yeah. that's not a bad buy. So it's it's an interesting question as to whether or but not. But the reason
3: Ackman has made the bet that he's made with the the puts against it is that he doesn't think they're going to get it down to, to, to okay. 2%. Okay. All right. That's but it does make bet. for a very it does make the, for a very interesting conversation. Good conversation. Yeah.
1: will be next. We'll be releasing Becky's full interview with Blackstone's Steve Schwarzman and a special extra, Squawk Pod Reports. That will be in the Squawk Pod feed today, wherever you listen to this podcast. Stay tuned right here because Becky and another Steve will be back after this break with a look at the strong summer travel season. Booking Holdings CEO Glenn Fogel joins us.
5: Are people starting to go to a lower star rating? We're not seeing that. Are people going for a length of stay that's shorter than the past? Not seeing that either. So we really aren't seeing any signs of slowdown right now.
1: This is Squawk Pod, today with Becky Quick and Steve Leisman.
2: Shares of bookings holdings are up sharply. The travel company owns Priceline, Kayak, and Open Table earnings, shattering estimates by. 30% revenue also beating expectations. The company said it's expecting a record summer travel season for the third quarter. Can we talk about travel for a second?
3: Well, yeah, Expedia was a different story yesterday. So I'm really looking forward to talking to the Glenn to finding out what they are seeing. Expedia was down 16%. Uh, and so then there's concerns this, about bookings
2: there. And there's this whole domestic versus international thing. You've been yeah. reading about that, that yeah. Americans are choosing to go overseas. And so that's hurting it's the, airlines, the U.S.
3: airlines in particular that are
2: just domestic. Just domestic.
3: We, we heard from Frontier earlier this week.
2: And then Marriott is also seeing that there's a boost in revenue per share room rev par. Thank you. Yeah,
3: <laughs> <laughs> revenue per available revenue
2: room. per available room yeah. boosting internationally, but going down domestically. Yeah, I think people have had enough of America, right? They yeah, they've been they
3: finally got three got to travel years. Get they've out. been stuck
2: here. They couldn't <laughs> go. How many times do you go to see the Grand Canyon? Oh, it's a you know. Big hole. Okay, I don't want to get in trouble with the people from there.
3: Joining us right now with more on travel demand is Glenn Fogel. He's the CEO of Booking Holdings. And, Glenn, this was a blowout quarter. Uh, we, we have not seen the same from a company like Expedia which missed expectations, uh, not not slowing growth, but missed expectations uh, in terms of, not a slowdown, I should say, but missed expectations by a long mark. What's the difference? What are you doing that, that they're not? Is this international travel?
5: Well, thanks, Becky, for having me. And we are a very global company, so there certainly are some issues there. Coming against the U.S. last year, you know, we are coming out of COVID, out of the Omicron thing, and it was blowout for second quarter last year, obviously a very tough comp for people who are strong in the U.S. Whereas for us in Asia, we had some really good numbers coming up 40% uh, year over year in the second quarter. And that was due to the fact that they were a little bit delayed in coming out, so we had an easy comp. All in all, look, I'm very pleased with how Booking Holdings is doing globally. We're just so happy to see finally getting out of COVID. You know, I said in your show three years ago, I was talking about how it's going to be years, not quarters. And it's turned out that way, unfortunately. But we're glad to be where we are.
3: Would you say that it is still years, not quarters, before you see this growth slow?
5: Well, well, we'll see about that. Obviously, a lot of economic things could play into travel. Look, I'm just thrilled with where we are right now. And by the way, we're not completely recovered. By you Asia know, Asia's still coming back, still has a long way to go, I think, there. And there's still a lot of pent-up demand for travel. People did not travel for three years, and they saved a lot of money, and they want to spend it. So I'm looking forward to a lot more travel.
3: People have been saying for a while that, oh, my gosh, the consumer is going to move on in the U.S. We're not going to see the same continued sort of spending on this. Have you seen any signs of slowing when it comes to the U.S. consumer?
5: You know, we, we look for these kind of signals and certainly you've seen some of the airlines, particularly the ones who are heavy in the domestic airline area, talking about some of the shift. But I think they were talking more about people want to go international versus domestic. And we look, are people starting to go to a lower star rating? We're not seeing that. Are people going for a length of stay that's shorter than the past? Not seeing that either. So we really aren't seeing any signs of slowdown right now. And I'm just thrilled that people are spending their money on travel.
3: Some of the hotel and vacation rental rates are coming down in some markets. What do you attribute that to?
5: You know, some areas, certainly, there were some really expensive places because just incredible demand in certain areas. But overall, and we talked about this last night on the call, we see ADRs are up globally. So we're pleased with that.
3: Where's the the strongest market?
5: Well, the strongest market, certainly in terms of the growth area, we're, we talked about what we saw in Ju- July, and we saw Asia still going very, very strong, 45% up year over year, and that's a really strong number. But again, you got to watch out because you're copying against a period depending on how they're coming out of COVID. Right now, globally, people want to travel, and that's just wonderful.
3: Yeah, and the street is impressed, booking holdings up by 11 and a quarter percent this morning. That stock. Glenn, thank you for joining us today. It's really good to see you. Thank you, Becky. Coming up next on
1: Squawk Pod, billionaire value investor Mario Gabelli with the money-making opportunities he's watching.
4: Budgets for advertising in 2024 are gonna be $14 billion up from 2.5 billion from the political world. So the TV stations are getting their share. So as a result of that, I like those kind of companies, even though they're linear television, even though they're kind of dated,
1: where he's putting his money to work, and which sectors are ripe for deal-making. That's all after this break. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. This next interview is from earlier this week, when Andrew Ross Sorkin, between assignments, was in his rightful seat at our Nasdaq studio. But it's too good not to share. It's billionaire value investor Mario Gabelli. He's been around a long time. Just how long? Well
3: you'll hear. I'll hand it off now to Becky Quick. Joining us right now to talk about the market's earnings, the new U.S. credit downgrade, and a whole lot of companies is Mario Gabelli. He is the chairman and CEO of Gamco Investors. And Mario, welcome. It's been a long time since it's you It's been uh, over three and, and a half
4: years, and I feel like that Tom Hanks movie and Castoid coming back.
0: <laughs> so good to see you all. It's great to see you. Mark
3: Wilson. I'm <laughs>
0: I'll am i take it. I'll, I'm happy to be Wilson.
3: All right. So, Mario, we'll, we'll, we'll talk briefly about the, the debt downgrade today uh, just because it's out there. But I really want to spend most of our time talking bottoms up stuff with you. What, what do you think about this? Well, I,
4: look, the answer is uh, what is the amount of money that we owe as a country? Thirty three trillion. Mm-hmm. How much of it is uh, held by the public? How do you pay interest if it goes to four with and the the Interest rates
3: soaring, right?
4: And uh, then you have to look at it. How do we get out of this mess? And the way you get out of it is have a strong economy, that is grow revenues, cut costs or keep them constant, and uh, that's it. And, and a functioning
3: uh, government that can come up with a plan to deal. Right.
4: You got to have look. The, the Powell is doing part A to try to reduce aggregate demand yeah. by keeping rates higher longer, and uh, he's got the rhetoric, uh, the four R's that I talk about. Then. We have policies that are very helpful long-term, like the uh, Infrastructure Act, the IRA Act, the IAAJ Act, the uh, CHIPS Act. But the answer is you've got to re-examine what are the priorities and expenses. So we'll live with it.
3: Uh, you are a little concerned, I think, about the banking industry, maybe the shadow yes. banking industry. Talk about that.
4: Well, part of it is what is called an accounting rule that came in after the collapse of 1990. When 1,000 of the 3,000 S&Ls collapsed, they put in a county rule, FASB 155, and it's now 157, which means you can put assets to hold to a 10 year maturity. And as long as they are more or less OK, you don't have to write them off. So the HTM continues to hold be. Hold to maturity. Hold yeah. to maturity for yeah. assets like buildings, commercial office buildings. Commercial yeah. buildings, real estate, and you just heard about the whole uh, kind of things like malls. And so owners are turning them in, and that causes you to have a mark to market. Now, which companies are doing well and which aren't? So it's not one. And then there's shadow banking. They're unregulated. Unregulated means that you you could have some explosions.
3: Meaning explosions more than hiccups, things that could change the equity markets overall. the perspective on things because again you're usually now, we, up, Look,
4: but I've been through so many crises, 1893, 1907, <laughs> 1919, come on, uh, 1929, uh, New York, uh, You've you know, read since, about those. since you guys have been on CNN, uh, CNBC mm-hmm. uh, from uh, the predecessors, you know, we've had uh, 89, you know, had so many of them. We will have a challenge, but J&J Bank will do well. Okay. G- Jamie Dimon and Jamie Dimon. James Gorman, Yeah, okay. you know, but uh, so there will be winners and just allow the free market to function.
3: I, I guess the bigger question is, would there be something that's big enough to turn around the market's momentum? Because at this point, there is a serious momentum move. Dow's been up 16 out of 17 sessions. Well, trees don't to go day. to some, the sky. I yeah, got you, it. You've looked at some huge, like if you look at the Nasdaq for a year to date, 37 plus percent.
4: So you have a rest in the market. Markets go up, markets go down. We want to buy good companies with good management they're Good valuations, and to the degree the market comes down, to the degree that the Magnificent Seven are in the trillions, you know there are opportunities for small companies. In addition to that, we believe corporate lovemaking, M and A, even with the Federal Trade Commission doing what they've been doing.
3: Okay, this is interesting because you've been a long believer in M and A activity, but it's gotten to be a freeze because of what this administration. Well, to yesterday, see in the for,
4: of for example, or two at... days ago, Chinook. Uh, uh, symbol kindrel uh, just closed no f no hearts got rodino second request Aerojet general despite all the uh mayhem closed l harris is a well-managed company and the stock is a bargain and that closed and several others are in the pipeline we'll see notwithstanding that common sense also has to prevail uh and uh, you know the ftc and the department of justice are coming out with new rules but there's a world out there companies like today yutuchu in China, uh, japan is buying in the minority interest That's part of the M&A. They own 61%. They're buying the balance. So you're seeing a lot of that. And then there's a lot of dry powder with the uh, private equity, with corporate uh, strategics. And then you have financial engineering, the reverse of that, with uh, J&J, for example, spinning off uh, Kenview and doing uh, that kind of Mm -hmm. dynamic. So there's a lot
3: going on. What about the media stocks? You've long been an owner of media stocks. If you look at Paramount, if you look at Warner Brothers, first of all, what are your positions uh, there? And does it take a deal to make those things more There's a lot
4: of A's in the world that I like. I'll go over some like ag, like advertising will be one aerospace. At the aerospace industry, defense, uh, commercial aviation is extraordinarily exciting. Uh, But on advertising, everybody should contribute to their favorite politician. Why? Why? Because budgets for advertising in 2024 are going to be $14 billion, up from $2.5 billion from the political world, so the TV stations are getting their share. So as a result of that, I like... Those kind of companies, even though they're linear television, even though they're kind of dated. Secondly, CBS, I,
3: ABC, NBC. Uh,
4: well, there are. I give you an example. There's a company called Tegna, T G N A. The stock yeah. has 200 million shares, probably 197. The stock closed yesterday or today around 1650. They will earn three dollars and fifty cents a share. They had a deal to be bought at 24. The Federal Trade, uh, Federal Communications Commission, kind of derailed it in a very interesting way. Not important at the moment. They're going to be $24. You're going to make 50% in 18 months. In addition to that, at some point, the FCC is going to allow TV station operators to have more than 39% coverage. What does that mean? It means that companies like Paramount, companies like uh, Disney, may examine keeping the network, like keeping ABC network, Comcast keeping its network. But, contrary
3: to what Bob Iger just talked yeah, about. Yeah,
4: right. uh, and then selling and spinning off the TV stations, assuming either as a public company or someone can consolidate that. So, you know, those are the dynamics. right? But now, do you think that's going
0: to happen under this administration? No. And do you bet on a new administration coming No, you coming don't have in to in bet 24? on it, Andrew.
4: Even if it doesn't happen, it's okay. But it, why would you care about when somebody can get on TikTok and have uh, 385 million viewers... And they worry about somebody having a cap of thirty-nine percent. Oh,
0: I don't disagree with you. Oh, that, no, that, no, you and I are in the same place. I think actually, I right think now, the regulatory environment around media happen. companies doesn't make a lot of sense, given how much competition there actually is. But here we are. I agree, but I'm not
4: talking about today. I'm talking about uh, it's only fifteen months till we're looking at 2026. Huh. Well, fifteen months from now, we're already in 2025, and then we'll look out a year, and you'll have a new, hopefully, somebody else. Doing things that are of a regulatory nature that are more practical.
3: So yes,
0: but, but so out, so you are, so, but you then, are, then you are betting that there's going to be a, a no, different I'm administration. No, the
4: stocks don't need that to do well.
0: They but don't they get supercharged. No. If they,
4: Meanwhile, if you take Paramount, different issues. But sticking with aerospace, I am still buying. Why? Because we need 40,000 new planes built in the next 20 years. The population of aircraft is going to go from 20 to 40,000, but you have retirements. What does that mean, that entire ecosystem? We have a conference, our uh, vendors to Boeing and Airbus on number 37 coming up in, uh, in about a month. And uh, stocks like Crane, Textron, uh, L. Harris, which is extraordinarily well-managed and did a good deal with Aerojet, you know, those are those that will have a tailwind. assuming. Uh, and then and at the defense portion, you know, I don't know what's going on and how do we solve this problem. Then, in terms of uh, uh, Warner Brothers, if you're going to ask me about that, yeah. well, we had a screen actors' scale, they were at a rice strike. You know, obviously, uh, you're you probably in the auto industry, you'll have a, they're a part of the consumer sector. You got uh, the possibility of a The UAW
3: strike you yeah, yeah, Uh
4: But basically, when yellow went out of business, that may temper some of the enthusiasm for an extended strike. It may not. Uh, on the other side, you got to assume that happens. More interesting, more interesting for me is that companies three years ago that would call me up and say, I got to call this company, introduce me. I'll buy whatever they sell at whatever price. Now they're destocking. stocking. So the working capital of, of whether it's a retailer, uh, whether it's an industrial company, more or less is coming down. And there are signs, like today, somebody indicated on a press release that the stocking is over. Which mm-hmm. means that in addition, if you have flat demand, at the retail or consumer or industrial level, you're going to have significant pickup in supply, which means that okay. manufacturing is going up. So there's a lot of pluses, a lot of crosscurrents.
3: This is fabulous. What, what do you do if if the UAW goes on strike? That means what? How how do you look at that as an investor, not just for the big three? I think basically it, kind of it is part
4: of the American system. process of having labor get their share, and they have some issues that they have to deal with. Do uh, you pay somebody joining you? as an employee, the same as somebody that's been there. There's a lot of behind the scenes. But the point is that's a push to catch up with wages, to pay for the products that the, your customer, your union member is paying. I have no problem with that free market give and take.
3: Do you invest in the companies though as a result, or are you Well, you could be TV. in advance
4: of that. If the stocks unfortunately have not gone down in anticipation on the other side of the coin, if I don't have a supply of new cars, What does it do for used cars? And secondly, even if I have a supply of new cars, the prices are too high. Uh, Secondly, leases and fleets are not buying cars as much as they have to uh they will then provide used cars so you've got a surge in demand for used cars which go into the uh, consumer price index
3: and and then just the question from the ev's transition uh, companies like general motors saying that they're going to transition to an entire ev fleet by 2030. Mm -hmm. yeah maybe
4: uh independent of that right now in the world we're producing 81 million cars mm -hmm. okay of that amount 27 million are in china china it will be the closest to getting evs uh earlier than most as a higher percentage but the used car market is uh, 238 million in the United States and there's 1.4 billion in the world. And by the time, you've got a long runway for that fleet to turn over. So companies like Genuine Parts, which are doing a great job, both in industrial products that, where they sell parts for AI as well as in the auto aftermarket. You know, stocks 155. I've been following it for 40 years. It's great management, great company. And they're going to earn $10 15 times, so it's okay. And they have price. the pricing is inelastic, which mm-hmm. means they'll do well no matter what the elements of inflation are.
3: Can we talk Atlanta Braves? Uh, they, they were here ringing the opening bell. Is that right? I don't it right? Friday or the Friday yeah. before. Never,
4: never a oh. doubt I thought you'd bring it up. <laughs> Andrew, no, I'm not going to toss Come on. it. It's a liability. Thank you, Andrew, but you're not keeping it. So, but you, if you sign it and uh, give it to me with Becky, I will keep it. That's a deal. Done. Uh, Uh, But but basically. Let's talk about
3: you own 17 percent of the voting.
4: My clients.
3: Your clients do. I do not. At Funds. Right.
4: We have seven or 800 clients that own the team. Maybe over a a a thousand that own a piece of the team. The Atlanta Braves are doing extremely well. Last night they played to a crowd of 41,000. Capacity. The pitch clock. The pitch clock is helping. Go ahead. You you, ready? Okay. Nice catch. I oh, to make sure. All right, uh, but basically, the pitch clock is making baseball more interesting. The the growth in the Hispanic population is also helpful, and so the Atlanta Braves uh, at forty five dollars, John Malone and Greg McFate control it. Uh, they are basically converted into it to what they call a C stock, mm-hmm. and the stock, unfortunately, is forty five. We think you're going to get fifty two, fifty three, but it's been a it's, you got to own a, one share of a baseball team before it's uh, sold out to some rich uh, person.
3: Well, here, here's another question. Would it ever be sold to, to the Saudis as you watch what happened with the golf situation? I'm not going to speculate on who
4: the buyer is. The logical buyer of all-American football and all-American uh, uh, sports teams, uh, whether it's the commanders or others were locals. And so individuals can do that. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are some benefits. You know, the, the major... Uh, so that's uh, something to do. I like it. Then finally there's gambling. Las Vegas is hot. Yeah, you
3: You've got 20 seconds, because I always have more to talk about you than we have time. To...
4: Well, I, you want to bet on something. Yeah. There's going to be a Super Bowl in, in Vegas. Las Vegas. Yep. There's going to be Formula One. The individuals that they attract are not going to go to the buffet for a dollar. or all you can eat. So there's going to be a lot of spend during a seasonally downturn. So yeah. you want to buy Golden Entertainment Caesars.
3: You gotta Thank come you. back, Mario. Great thanks. seeing you. Oh, great to see you. Folks, Thank
4: I you, it. For Thank
1: you. And that's the pod for today and for the week. Thanks for tuning in on this very busy week in August. Big tech earnings, a stunning credit downgrade, Jobs Day. It has been a pleasure covering it for you. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Thanks to Steve for sitting in today. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. And to get the smartest takes and analysis and interviews from our TV show, right into your ears, follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you right back here on Monday. Have a good weekend.
0: We are clear. Thanks, guys. Thank you guys so much.